Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to another inspirational people interview on the Share Life Podcast. My name is Jason Scott Montoya, and today I'm speaking with Denise Marie Stilly. Denise, say hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, Denise is in is a is a, has a really interesting story and i'm looking forward to uh to understanding and learning more about it particularly as it has to do with um the environment and our awareness and the systems and ecosystems that we all depend on and live inside um, this is a unique interview because denise and i met in high school uh, many 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 years ago 20 i graduated 20 years ago um and we were in a class together called eagle eye news where we produced a a news show every single day for the high school that we both attended. She was one year ahead of me. Um, and I recently reached out to her to share some of the footage from that class that I had found that she was in because we were uh, on the same team. And uh, anyways, I, uh, I was looking through Denise's profile on social media and was like, wow, you've been all over the world. <laughs> I would love to learn more about your story. So today you get to share that with us. Um, tell us about that story. How did you end up from the little town of Flagstaff to traveling the world? Thanks, Jason, for that generous uh, <laughs> uh, intro. Um, yeah, I think, you know, film and communications and storytelling found me really early um, in that class that we were um, in in high school. I just saw the power of messaging. I saw the power of um, marketing and advertising and uh, getting people to take action or create change, um, whether that was buying the sub sandwich uh, <laughs> cafeteria or, um, you know, hearing about the, um, the, the latest sort of sports um, uh, victories from the state yeah. or something. It was was really any of that just... there before you took the class? Um, you know, I think they, they had... They had the class split into two teams, as I remember. It was one that was reporting the news and then another that was going out to get the news packages and, and edit them together. And then we would rotate, I think. Yeah. Um, it was both, you know, go out into the field and, you know, uh, film that story, whatever it is, the sub sandwich, the, the, the baseball game or whatever. And, and then we would package it together and run uh, a, a news show and we would cycle out um, being an anchor or the teleprompt operator, uh, you know, the person that's doing the switchboard operations in the back um, with a bunch of donated uh, gear and equipment that we had from the local university um, that kindly gave us uh, a, an entire studio of um, yeah. old television equipment to work with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. And that's how my mom was able to record some of those episodes because they any you broadcasted on on their channel. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I know. It's just, it's just crazy seeing these uh, this old footage and stuff, and to think, um, you know, the seeds of the passion um, and. Uh, creativity and the power of storytelling that where was it started all started yeah in that class yeah <laughs> yeah so you you started going to college while you were in high school so tell us how you went from high school to college to uh whatever uh what was after the community college yeah um i mean that was, that was kind of an economic thing we could, if we found out that we could uh take community college classes and the, the college credit would transfer to 
Um, I was planning to go out of state, so it would transfer to a UC system. Um, and so I was taking, you know, just general education, you know, philosophy 101, sociology 101 classes that uh, would all transfer. Um, and so I entered my freshman year of college, almost finished with, you know, 28 college credit hours already by the time that I graduated wow. um, high school. Yeah. yeah, so definitely saved a good chunk of money. Um, and I ended up graduating uh, from the university only two and a half years. As okay, well. wow. Um, with a degree in film studies as well. So yeah. carried that film uh, theme okay. throughout. Uh, was that the, the end of your schooling or would that, would you continue off on after that? Um, so then I uh, applied for an intensive master's uh, degree program um, that was uh, in Australia. And so that oh, was wow. a master's in film and television production. Um, my, my bachelor's was mostly just, it was a lot of theory, um, but also, you know, understanding the, the power of the medium itself mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, um, international cinema versus Hollywood cinema and sort of just accessibility um, for filmmakers back in the day, which it certainly wasn't very accessible to yeah. people of color um, or women mm. at all. So it was really so, And you're from Singapore. Family. You have a Singapore heritage, right? Yes. My mom's from Singapore. Um, my folks met in 1975 uh, and they've been married for about 45 years, but grew up in a biracial um, international marriage. Uh, okay. Family. Yeah. Yeah. I'm half Mexican. So my dad is on the Mexican side, although I don't really look it, but it's in there. <laughs> it's, it's in my blood. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what part um, of Mexico? Um, so there, there's a cup. Uh, Chihuahua is the is the native mm -hmm. um, area that that uh, and the and the people that uh, doing my DNA testing. That's kind of where that came. But a lot of the, a lot of the heritage I have that comes through Mexico is actually Spanish. So um, it's from the Spain Spanish people that went to Mexico and then they they bred with the, the locals. So um, it's kind of a, a mix of the two, and then. Um, my mom is European and Swedish and things like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, it is uh, w one of the most mm. fascinating countries. Um, and it was, it was actually <clears throat> right after I got my master's degree, it was the first country that I went and worked uh, in um, wow, wow. Mexico. And that was sort of a crux moment for really solidifying um, yeah, just mm. filmmaking, um, not for Hollywood or for fiction, but for, um, uh, saving the planet, humanitarian uh, change, medical aid relief, uh, human rights violations. It was really a. a so you went from country. Australia to Mexico. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Much. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's that's that's. And I guess what year was the Mexico thing? That must have been uh, 2007. 2007. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I mean, Mexico has changed a lot. I was there last year. How was Mexico then? Um, it, it was in intense. Um, uh, we, the Zapatistas were, um, uh, still operating pretty heavy down in the South re uh, Chiapas region where I was. Okay. Um, and it was a film on microfinance and, uh, indigenous women. So my descendants that were receiving microfinance grants, um, and then I ended up working on a campaign on violence against women and trying to legalize abortion rights for women in Mexico City in 2007, which was huge back then um, because yeah. you're going up the Catholic Church and patriarchy. And, uh, you know, now we look at how it's, you know, going backwards in the states regarding um, the issue of abortion and and they've legalized it in Mexico. So, uh, mm. you know, almost 20 
years later or 17 years later or so that um, you see sort of these big changes start to happen. Um, and that we only, you know, worked on the campaign where, where they legalized abortion just in the city of Mexico, uh, Mexico okay. City, the capital. So now it's throughout the, the the state that it's been legalized. And now Americans are going down to Mexico to seek abortion. Now, how come that yeah. issue was so important to you? Um, that issue was important to me because it, it, uh, it, it, it really, you know, threw into perspective that the choices that women were making, it wasn't just, I don't have the money or I'm too young. Um, it's, it, it was domestic violence that they might've been involved in. It was, you know, shame and dishonor and, and abandonment mm. from family, um, and, and ostracization from your church, uh, uh, not being able to work anymore, just, you know, entering a life of poverty uh, with your children and, and knowing that as well. Um, and so just being able to have access to information. Um, so women weren't having to take it upon themselves to, um, uh, you know, have their own self-induced abortions um, and, uh, you know, end up hemorrhaging and dying on doctor's tables. Um, so it really kind of went into uh, feminists that had been fighting this for a long time um, to, to try and make it something that was a, a social issue, not just a women's issue, um, yeah. but something that affected men and affected societies. And it was really trying to shift perspectives a lot like that. So it was it was different than having it just be something that was, um, you know, a, a safety net uh, should you mm -hmm. be, you know, end up as a as like teen pregnancy or something. But it was it really sort of um, viscerally connected all of, you know, how much that's, that, that seeps into the rest of society, um, in, in our, in our choices and the, and the type of society, um, uh, that, that can be created with, with, uh, um, yeah. people, mothers have those choices, um, yeah. for their own, for their own body self-worth and contribution to society as well. So was that, was that a stark contrast to your experience in Australia in the sense of, I imagine Australia, like America, is a pretty, pretty great place to live. And then you go to Mexico, which is a pretty rough place to live. Is that kind of what you experienced as well? Or, um, yeah, I mean, living wise, <clears throat> I, like, like since I was young, I had traveled all over the 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 world, um, just with parents that were uh, international. Um, so so I'd been exposed to um a a good amount of um, uh, you know, danger, uh, poverty. <laughs> uh you know beauty and uh history all over the world um so you know i had been exposed to it and um it it, it i had gone down to mexico <laughs> several times already and i i'd minored yeah. in uh, spanish so i spoke the language really well um but it was a stark contrast of course from australia um but it was also you know right along the lines of the, the documentary um a niche that I was trying to create for myself. Um, mm -hmm. In Australia, I did a thesis on indigenous uh, cinema and, and like imperfect cinema techniques. And so it was, uh, you know, not having to create a Hollywood glossy film to get a message across and create change. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, ethical approaches to including perspectives and telling stories, um, not the story you're trying to tell, but the story that sh should be told. Um, mm. from from a, a, a local community or indigenous perspective rather than, you know, a story that you're trying to make money off of or that you're trying to expose. Mm. So the time that it takes to build trust with communities and everything, um, that was definitely something I was trying to 
move my career um, in, into working more with that. And so when I moved to Mexico, it was still working with um, indigenous indigenous peoples. In Australia, I, was, I lived in the, the bush for a while with mixed blood yeah. aboriginals. And my first film was on cultural revitalization of mixed blood aboriginals through corroboree, through song and dance and how they can uh, revitalize spirit and language um, and culture through song yeah. and dance. Um, so plugging that into, you know, indigenous communities in, in Mexico and, and working along that, that niche was, um, you know. Now, was that through an organization or just in, as a freelancer or what? What, how did that? Um, I I wanted to create a niche, so I I fished out to companies and organizations that I wanted to work for. Just you know, this is what I can do. This is the breadth of experience, and you know, it was, it, I would work I would work for free. Um, if yeah. you can get me down there to work on the project, I can you know create a, this film for you and edit it for free. Just trying to create that niche so it's on my resume, on my portfolio for when I mm. keep applying to other things that maybe I could get paid for eventually. Yeah. Um, but this was a job that that plucked me up as a translator and an editor, um, and so I I I was able to to work right right away and get get paid. Um, going after the dream and it wasn't yeah. you know, I never thought to work in the United States or to go to Hollywood or to uh you know just work for a, a marketing company where I just turn out videos and stuff it was always film film with a purpose and mm. um so that was from a young age having that sense of desire for purpose yeah um the, a activism uh and change at this you know intersection of um uh, uh speaking up for the marginalized um, and, and that is everything from, uh, youth, LGBTQ women, and of course, uh, the nature and the environment and animals that aren't able to speak. Mm. So where's Mexico take you? What goes, what happens after that? After Mexico, I, um, I moved down to Peru, um, okay. and it was working, um, on a, uh, national bird observation route uh, that was through the country's um, uh, uh, tourism initiative. They're trying to get more bird watchers and people to come down to Peru because there was, it's a country with over uh, 1800 endemic species of birds. So a huge bird watching mm. Mecca um, and just huge changing environment as well from uh, uh, the coastal environment and marine spe marine uh, uh, avian species there uh, to then just sort of this, you know, the high Andes, and then it drops off into the Amazon basin. So just the change mm. of birds that's down there um, uh, started an NGO that was uh, working on tree reforestation in the north. Um, oh, wow. And we were working on, on sort of just uh, um, mesquite tree replanting um, and then our, our production company was, was an NGO that worked with, uh, the tourism and, um, ministry of natural resources and environment. Yeah. And so did some work in the Amazon as well. And that sort of, uh, is as, as romantic as it sounds. <laughs> absolutely. I, 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 I had the whole bout of, uh, just, you know, complete, um, just lucid connection to nature that is just ready to consume uh humanity and and civilization and just consume there's just so i've never felt more alive in a place that wants mm. to where everything wants to kill you <laughs> can kill you um but yes i i almost lost my life there um oh, we, wow. we did about seven days in the amazon um and you know it's hard to not get a parasite or a bug in the amazon mm. um, and then it's just a question of how close you are to 
to a, a clinic, a medical clinic yeah. or any help or oh, anything. Wow. Um, so yeah, I was definitely had about five saline bags of rehydration because I just lost all my fluids. And had I not been close mm. to a clinic, I, I don't know if I would have made it. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, Your parents yeah, don't know that story, that do little, they? <laughs> got the parasite with me. I think it's protected uh, from, from issues around the world. Named yeah. it Jojo. Good. <laughs> <laughs> How so? How long were you in Amaz the Amazon? Other than the seven days, were you in the area longer, or is it just like a temporary project that you moved on? That yeah, it was a, it was a temporary project. <laughs> um, we were filming. Uh, we, we went about nineteen hours up um, past the headwaters of the Amazon, the Ucayali and Marañón uh, rivers, and got into a dugout canoe, and then went up a little tributary, and we were filming. Um, also filming bird species in, in the Amazon there. Um, so we were up with like a 78 year old river guide, um, went Kaiman hunting in the middle of the night that he grabbed a Kaiman out <laughs> of the water with his bare hands. <laughs> um, uh, just, just an incredible, um, experience, but also very, um, you know, peeled my eyes back to not just, you know, the beauty of nature and everything, but but the destruction of what's happening to it, um, and and the industry that comes that can corrupt, uh, you know, that can lead to human trafficking, uh, wildlife mm. trafficking, uh, uh, natural resource extraction that um, is is uh, rampant and unchecked. Um, so it just saw the destruction of you know trees and, and logs, you know, extreme logging, um, but then just mining as well that's happened down there um and, and indigenous indigenous communities that have been wrapped up in um extractivist industries and and being exploited um whether that's uh yeah you know prostitution or child trafficking uh so really being seeing some of those mm. those you know so dark underbellies yeah. that's happening at the same time yeah i guess two questions on that is and they could be related i guess one is um what does how we take care of the environment and say about us as people and two was seeing that darkness like was it traumatizing yeah um first question how we take care of the environment um what does it say about us what does it say about us i mean i think I think our education systems are broken. That's maybe what it says about us. Mm. Um, because, you know, down there in the Amazon, when I, when I would see the, a lot of trash, well, it's not, it's not the kids fault or the families that are there. There's no system for trash pickup. Mm. There's no education for the kids to know the difference between throwing a banana peel that biodegrades mm -hmm. versus a banana that's wrapped in plastic. <laughs> so, yeah. so the plastic just goes on the, on the ground. There's no system to pick it up. There's no education to, mm. to teach which, people which, how to separate. Which... Yeah. I went to Honduras this year and it was, I had a similar experience because we went to the rural areas and there was just, there was no system for them. And um, it revealed that kind of illuminated to me, like just how dependent we are on systems that we don't even realize it. Yeah, absolutely. And how much it can it can shift and change with, you know, one policy or law mm -hmm. <laughs> that goes yeah. into the yeah. monitoring and implementation of that, too. But it also showed me, you know, the complacency uh, as well, because working over in Vietnam, I mean, I'd end up on that was a huge campaign for, for the 
worldwide fund for nature I was working with was plastic waste, um, received millions of dollars from Germany and Norwegian governments to address plastic waste in one mm. of the top five countries that discharges the most plastic waste. But where is all of that? 50% of that is coming from countries like the US that's sending their <laughs> yeah. cash there. Um, so that's a broken system altogether with people yeah. feeling like they're recycling over here. I tossed it in the bin and I don't, I don't need to, yeah. you know, monitor. Well, some it of it out. is like just having intentionality. I, 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 you know, there's all that, that controversy about plastic straws, but then I read this article is like, well, we could actually invent plastic straws that, that do the thing they do, but also degrade really easily. We just never, no one ever came up with the idea. <laughs> no one ever did it. So some of it is just about being aware and sensitive and then having the drive to to do it, right? Well, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and and also just, you know, I mean the the desire to want change as well. I mean, how long has recycling been a broken system in yeah. the United States? And and why? Because like because there's lobbyists, there's an industry, and so we don't want that to change. There's money in this, and so people throw so much money to keep this the status quo yeah. of the system. That system's broken as well. Hmm. So so to the question about the darkness, I'll throw in this part. So one, you see the horrors um, up close. It's it's difficult to see that type of darkness. But then there's the second part, which is the despair of what you're just saying. Is now you have power structures that don't want it to change or are doing things to prevent that change. So you're facing darkness, and then you're facing um, a power that doesn't want to that wants to keep that darkness going. So how do you how did you how did you handle that, <laughs> or are you still trying to figure it out? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Every day I wake up and fight that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think for a long time uh, operating, it, you know, first was having your eyes peeled back to to, to see the darkness. The awareness. Um, yeah, just the, uh, awareness. Then, then, then comes the what can you do about it? Um, or, you know, do you flee back to comfort that, you know, mm. might be something a little bit more manageable? Um, and, you know, for me, it, it, it fueled me as a storyteller, um, mm. to live these experiences. It wasn't just seeing it and filming it. And then I left, but I lived there for a while. I, I got really embedded into, um, some traumatic experiences and through storytelling or personal experiences mm -hmm. as well. Um, in Vietnam, as a communications person, having to, uh, post um, you know, the daily wildlife trafficking seizures of the day that could be seven frozen tiger cubs um, coming across the Lao border that were found, you know, in a truck that could be, you know, baby macaques chained to a toilet in a, in a restaurant or something. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, bear paws or, you know, dead trophies of, of um, marine turtles. And so, you know, it's like just cranking this stuff out, just get it out. You know, here's the, but taking the time to sit back and process that to be more intentional of how you can serve this type of work. Because if you don't take that time to step back and look at it as like, this is sad and traumatic, um, mm. you know, you, you kind of just get into autopilot of just like, all right, get the, you know, get the post out. Uh, uh, what, what's the mm. most gruesome photo that we can find and just spawn people to action. Okay. Then messaging for the donors and you just get, uh, you know, sort, sort of lost. Um, you don't really have the dooms feeling anymore because you're, you're, you're it's doing normalized, stuff. right? Yeah. Um, so, so there's that, you know, seeing the darkness, being aware of it and choosing to do nothing 
or becoming like, you know, consumed in anxiety um, yeah. because you can't do anything uh, or doing something and just like overloading yourself because yeah. you can't do it all and you need systems or you need people and partnerships and uh, governments <laughs> to, to, to yeah. work together to, to move something. So I'm, I'm, I'm at that stage where I, I feel, uh, you know, I feel infused every day with purpose to, to do something. Um, I feel like banging on bells and doors and pots and pans and everything to try and raise the alarm bell. And that can be exhausting when people don't take action and you see the same systems recycling and all this stuff, nobody takes action. Everyone's just, you know, trying to get by and, and, and survive and be, be a good person on this planet. So um, that can be exhausting as well. Just trying to ring alarm bells and tell the story so many times mm. um, when even like your friend circle isn't, or, or can be desensitized to it or like your mom, you're like, Oh, another article that you put out on animal trafficking or something. It's like, yeah. <laughs> People can yeah. be desensitized to it after a while. So that can be disheartening. Um, mm. But just, you know, taking that step back to reconnect with nature and to, uh, you know, have that solace and um, introspection with, with yourself to keep that, that mission and that, um, you know, that juice alive. <laughs> <within> <laughs> keeping up and fighting. Yeah. Well, how much does community play a role in that in terms of your community and your, your family, your friends, but also your colleagues and work and, in the kind of the community that you're in that is around the mission you're, you're going after. Yeah. You know, I, when, when I set off and, and, um, left this, the States and about 10 years ago to, to live abroad for a while, um, you know, leaving a community, uh, like, like Flagstaff that, you know, I mean, grew up here in high school and like family had been here for such a long time, just like, you know, the foundation of, of this town and stuff and sort of leaving out to move to places where you don't know anybody. Um, you might not even know the language, uh, you know, it, it definitely brought about survival skills. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it brought about, uh, you know, a time in my life where, I wasn't surrounded by, you know, people community wise, but mm, there was like isolated you know, or. Yeah, it was, it, it wasn't like they were right there with me. It was, it was a community of um, fellow creatives around the world mm. and artists and activists that I was looking for that community. That's not, you know, they're not everybody right in front of me, but I've, you know, I've got my sound guy down in Brazil. I have, you know, met the yeah. best editor that lives over in Vietnam, um, you know, creating this crew um, of creatives. That was a, that was a community that I, that I think, um, you know, it shouldn't be limited to just who is within your vicinity or your proximity, but mm -hmm. how can we as humans connect with one another to create the best, you know, community on this planet. Um, yeah. And that can be uh, feeling like you're totally alone in a country, but like that you still have a lot of um, um, support and you have a lot of like-minded people that are working towards the same thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, did you ever have a moment like, this isn't what I thought it was, like it's it's much worse or harder, or maybe in the flip side, it, man, this is much more amazing than I thought. I imagine you probably have both, but the the reality versus the expectation. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I feel uh, like, I could be plopped into any corner of the globe and, and, and adapt. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, China was probably difficult because um, the 
as a creative, just, uh, you know, the, the content that you could create. So I was limited to, I couldn't really create, you know, activism environment kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. it was really lessons in censoring, uh, what you might what tell years you. Were that, were you in China? Um, oh, and then it was also, uh, no access to Google, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, research. The, the great firewall as well. So just trying to edit stuff or send material or anything was just extremely. What year was that? That was um, 2015. Um, okay. So eight years. That's China, not very long actually, Yeah. Yeah. Because I couldn't really film, uh, you know, environmental stuff or, uh, you know, indigenous rights or anything like that. I was filming, uh, you know, corporate jet aviation expositions and conferences and uh you but know, could you not go there film a bunch of stuff and then come back <laughs> yeah uh no i mean i i yeah lived there i was uh, working i worked for the um the luxury collection so five-star hotels that needed videos uh, okay. so it was more um, of like a corporate business thing yeah this was probably the most um corporate controlled environment and so this you know i mean i'd filmed in tent cities in the in in haiti after the earthquake mm. i filmed on glaciers uh in, in in patagonia to try and stop wow. uh, uh, dams and expose the hydrological cycle and so this was you know the the fish of the restaurant or you know the the uh chocolate fountain um here's our pool and our spa here's the executive suite and it's like wow this is so controlled i can light that little piece of cilantro and fish to look so perfect <laughs> i can just move it <laughs> but if you looked this. out the window it was like a whole different world <laughs> oh yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> definitely and yeah it was that was also a huge contrast filming in these five-star hotel palaces and then you know going out onto the street and getting you know 20 cents how, how did you handle the cognitive dissonance of that um oh you know I I think I just operate in this ad adaptability uh -huh. mode for a yeah. bit. Um, yeah, that's that's, and I think maybe that that might come from just being born into a biracial international traveling mm. kind of lifestyle of just you're kind of prepared for it beforehand to handle it yeah and being able to i mean literally swing from i i was filming in the rice fields of laos sweating my my butt off and then by the end of that day in a cocktail dress you know filming and networking at a vip party for boeing yeah <laughs> and just like put on both hats <laughs> switch out of the field clothes <laughs> yeah <laughs> Wow, that's wild. So, what other uh, what other adventures did you go on that brought you to today that we haven't hit on yet? Yeah, um, you know, I mean, a lot sort of squashed in there from about 2015 until 2022. Um, working in Asia, um, worked with a, an anti wildlife crime organization, um, and so that was really, you know, I think it was in that rice field in Laos that I realized I didn't want to be the one carrying all the camera equipment and thought, where's my 25 year old intern boy that wants to earn his keep and be a filmmaker, uh, <laughs> traveling the world. <laughs> I can't well, do this so. anymore by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to move up a little bit more and, you know, I mean, this, this, this filmmaker dream and everything, well, I can't do it all and realized, you know, I need my crew, 
call on people. Um, and so moved kind of up into a head of communications position and also traveling abroad I, I, and living abroad, I needed to be more secure. I needed to have health insurance, you know, and death, death automatic death and dismemberment and repatriation. So my, my folks don't have to go looking for me under rocks for, you know, should something happen, just sort of adult <laughs> decisions for health insurance, visa kind of things. So that I wasn't just a bohemian artist trying to live my dream around the world, but to really sort of get a career out of it as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you have a lot of pushback from friends or family? They were like, well, this is too dangerous. You shouldn't be doing it like that kind of thing, or were they very supportive or was it kind of a hybrid of, of both? Um, I don't know uh, if their opinions ever um, hit me to heart with something, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like my, my, my ears go up with, with uh, <laughs> danger, <laughs> international danger. But, uh, you know, so, so, I think just having international parents that came from some hardship backgrounds as well, it was never a question of like, no, stay here or that's too dangerous or no, don't go down to that country after 200 inmates have just been released or, or escaped prison. You know, it's just like, yeah, well, aware of the, uh, aware of the hardships around the world. And uh, yeah, certainly had my, out with uh, 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 danger and violence in, in certain places. So um, I think friends have been a little bit more apprehensive just because my, my parents uh, living international lives themselves uh, and seeing my life as well, um, we're able to understand. Um, but but some friends are, are, you know, some of like my, my lady friends who are uh, cosmetologists and uh, <laughs> beauty school that are just like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? <laughs> Uh, yes, I've definitely heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and that, what else in your your journey that we missed? Um. Yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, it, it 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 was. You know, getting situated in a in a in a career, getting recognized for the type of work um, with film communications and storytelling uh, in in a, a in industry like conservation and environmental. Um, uh, justice. Um, but then also just, you know, seeing the difficulties, the gaps and loopholes that exist in the conservation mission, uh, or yeah. in you know, that intersection of environmental justice and human rights violations. And, you know, what, what our choices as consumers, um, you know, mm. and how that impacts the rest of the world as well, but how we, we might also be caught up in enabling that corruption. And that could be, you and know, not even funding know it too. Funding yeah. military regimes and and uh, you know killings and, and uh, mass torture and death in, in other countries and that yeah. you might just be buying you know a doorknob or a shelf uh, from Home Depot but yet this is you know illegal extraction of wood that is fueling uh, military mm -hmm. operations in another country um, yeah and so just be conscious of those decisions as well um, for for uh, what we as consumers are doing but then also just the conservation mission itself being riddled in old um formulaic colonialist approaches um and that can go you know systems should be revised and updated um what would be some and, examples of that just for those of us that are not as smart as you sure yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know i mean it's it's can be the conservation mission has been uh uh you know save the planet um more so than than around you know 
save humans or how, how have we, mm. you know, our, our consumer choices and um, our, our production um, and supply chains, how have, how has that uh, pushed people mm. aside and excluded them or even evicted them from their ancestral or, land? Yeah. Or explo- exploited people. Right. Yes, exactly. And so that, yeah. that could be anything from, you know, I mean, if people look at, okay, save the rhinos, there's only five left. Um, so, you know, let's arm the guards and like kick off all the people. And, and, and this idea of nature in a pristine state without humans is mm-hmm. old way of thinking. And we have to think of how we can live together and not look at something like a national park as, as, as nature without humans in its pristine <laughs> state, because it is humans that are stewards of the land as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we don't well, take and- in consideration, those perspectives of, of marginalized communities, indigenous knowledge, um, you know, uh, uh, even, even female perspectives yeah. of, of um, collecting science and evidence and data and opinions as well of nature and, and our ecosystems, uh, you know, so much has been excluded. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. Now. Cause I think there's so much we can learn from people that have done it really well in the past or in the present and why wouldn't we learn from them? Right. So yeah, exactly. Um, uh, you know, so it, not not just in consumer and supply chain choices, but but also um, the conservation mission itself, and uh, you know, um, the the violence that it might be perpetuating on people in the name of of conservation, and that could that could uh, you know be so how do you ideas. Balance, how do you balance that? Like when you, when it, when do you go too far? Because we all have to face that, right? Whatever we're we're doing, it's like you talked earlier about like being consumed, and man, we can become the monster we're fighting pretty quick, can't we? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I, it's it's definitely made me more conscious of my choices and looking into origins of where mm. products come from, um, or in you know, uh, uh, operations um, and uh, labor rights of certain companies. Um, that you you know if you if you if you regularly um, consume something for them or just you know being able to make that choice of uh, you know I mean during the pandemic delivery was was, was <laughs> yeah. high but like you know having to make that choice of like I I won't order stuff in because I can't handle the packaging that it comes with and I just how yeah. many mm. you know spoons and Tupperware things I just like it's just overtaking my house yeah um, and it's so easy to accumulate it yeah yep yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I've had that sort of exposure to corruption that's existing in, you know, conservation organizations themselves, um, that mm. is at the expense of local people and indigenous, um, I mean, is that uh, even it, more disheartening than, yes, than that is when it's your own group? It's disheartening to see donors, um, enable corruption of, uh, uh, organizations, um, large or- conservation organizations around the world that are uh, f- feeding and fueling um, that corruption of the, the the government that are is squandering the millions of dollars in the name of biodiversity conservation, um, and that is you know at the expense of human rights violations and labor laws. Um, yeah. That is not including local people. Uh, that that does not retain or safeguard uh, uh, women in the field. Mm. Um, so. To me, the conservation mission is riddled until things like that are addressed and until things like yeah. uh, being able to 
to, to speak up or have grievance mechanisms and whistleblower mechanisms um, for the communities that we're working with to be able to speak up or speak out yeah. against missions that might be intruding or violating their rights to exist and live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So now you're you're entering a new season, right? Tell a new season? Yeah, where you are now and what's ahead. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I guess ha having my eyes exposed to um, the corruption within the conservation mission, um, I sought out a, a, a company uh, or an organization that seeks to expose corruption. Mm. <laughs> um, that's everything from, uh, you know, uh, government, high level government corruption that is enabling, you know, illegal logging in, in a country um, or that is exposing, um, you know, corruption that is existing in conservation organizations and what um, uh, this initiative to decolonize conservation. So that that is definitely uh, a mission of mine is decolon to decolonize um, communications and storytelling. Uh, as well as conservation. Um, and I so guess, that, what does that mean to you? Like, how do you define that? Yeah. Um, I mean, how how long has, you know, there been sort of just the male-dominated industry um, uh, uh, approaches of, you know, who's got the money to go in and make uh, a film and then broadcast it and make money off of it? Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, what are what are ways that we can tell authentic stories without harming the people and the participants and the communities that we're working with or the environment. Yeah. Um, and in fact, so probably do the opposite to actually um, help them maybe in a way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, that, that takes a whole shift in thinking about uh, ethical rights-based um, free prior and informed consent compensation of time and uh, knowledge. Um, you know, so so looking at how we've approached conservation or science or the humanitarian development or, or uh, you know, wildlife crime, human trafficking, anything, these systems that that are not including the local people that are being impacted or, you know, uh, uh, um, mm -hmm. perspectives for safeguarding um, the staff that might be working with those people as well. Yeah. yeah. In, other, in other words, it's it's coming up the way I hear it, I guess you tell me if I'm wrong, but. It's coming up with a plan and doing the action so that everyone benefits and nobody is exploited in that process. Is that a good way to say it? Lost you for a second. Oh, oh <laughs> there you are. Did you hear what I said or should I repeat it? <laughs> no, repeat it, please. <laughs> so we need to have, if we're going to do something, whatever it is, we come up with a plan that includes all the people that are involved and that benefits everyone and doesn't exclude or exploit anyone, right? We're we're doing very narrow. We're doing things that are very narrow. They're benefiting a very narrow group, but they're at the cost of others, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the systems. You know, everyone's talking about DEI and inclusivity and, and all this stuff. But if we don't have systems in the first place that uh, elevate the opportunities for uh, women to be educated and get a degree and make make money off of, of conservation and have a career and a life with that um, and feel safe, uh, you know, indigenous peoples, uh, um, the black Latino uh, Asian communities that that haven't historically had a chance to be part of of that because of, uh, you know, infrastructure um, mm. barriers and structural barriers that is is perpetuating sort of just this, this sort of yeah. outdated uh, thinking in a lot of our systems. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So. 
So we, you've, you share a lot of your story. So what do you have to tell us in terms of how, what does it mean to live smarter or live better and work smarter? How does, and how does your story inform that? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, being aware of, of, of your limits and boundaries with, mm. with your work, um, especially if your passion is your work, uh, because they're both so inextricably and they can be inextricably linked and you might never give yourself a break from it. Um, but giving yourself that mental break to, to process um, the daily output that can be traumatic as well. Mm -hmm. um, giving yourself that mental break um, so that you can come back a, a better storyteller to inspire mm -hmm. change and awareness. Um, but definitely giving that process time um, uh, as well as finding a, a career where it doesn't feel like you're being exploited yourself mm -hmm. um, and where all of that pressure and that passion just comes together. So you just overwork yourself. Um, but, you know, finding that that community of people and that right balance of being able to give uh, of your time, um, be properly compensated for it um, yeah. and being able to evolve your work as well in, in, in the fields that um, have caused uh, pain or systems that you've that you've seen that uh, have wronged and shouldn't continue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are some of the practical steps you've taken to help yourself navigate that tension? Mm, yeah, I, I um, uh, when I joined the new organization, uh, you know, I asked questions of how they operated. Mm. It was a more informed, like, this is what I want out of you. And this is, mm -hmm. this is a two way thing instead of you just deciding about me. Yes. Yes, I exactly. Like that. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. And seeing that there was space to grow something like inclusive storytelling. Um, mm -hmm. inclusive communications where it was something that they wanted to be developed. Like we want to be at the, at the helm of developing this framework so that it's something we can, you know, inspire other organizations to, mm -hmm. to look at ethical rights-based communications and storytelling. So we're not just going to get the story and come back and splash out the report and everything, but, yeah. but creating an opportunity for indigenous artists or local communities uh, voices to be elevated. Yeah. And then uh, uh, being part of uh, that visceral field experience of knowing about uh, speak up, safeguard, you know, grievance mechanisms and whistleblowing, uh, mm. you know, systems that are broken down, even if you do blow the whistle with a large organization that has no idea how to receive reporting, has no idea how mm. to, uh, you know, help the mental trauma of that uh, 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 person or how to retain that person's, uh, you know, talent and skill in your office. Yeah. Um, so being able to work at the helm of, of decolonization in the new organization that I'm with as well, and feeling some movement with that, um, coming back to a country that, that that's, you know, we're woke and cancel this, but, but there's still so much work to be done. Um, and so it's, it's, it's both healing and a little bit traumatic to try and like inspire that, that change as well. Yeah. Um, well, it, so that's an interesting dynamic. Are a lot of the things that were like, because you mentioned that the different because you've been around the world. So sometimes we see our issues in America. But then you probably kind of laugh at us because it's like, wow, I've been, I've been over here and over here. And you're doing the same things you're kind of criticizing other people for doing. You just don't know it. <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I have to uh, cut myself off some with conversation. <laughs> yeah i mean it's hard right 
we have to be an, a light and example to others, but we're also broken people ourselves and we have to navigate both of those. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, and, and, so. you know, I mean, if you're not, uh, healed and in a good state to, to contribute, then sort of, you know, just kind of keep perpetuating the status quo. Yeah. Well, and I guess you kind of bring up another point that I think is a pervasive thing, at least in our country. Um, there's a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing, but they call themselves a sheep. They make noises like a sheep. And so we just assume they're the sheep, right? But I think what you're saying is by asking these this organization you're working for, like you're kind of doing the due diligence to like, I want to know that you're a, you're a sheep and not a wolf, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Being able to peel back those layers at the uh, interview stage um, and, you know, getting those questions out of what you expect yeah. from an organization. Um, and it takes a little while to sort of get to that. And it's not, it's not a confidence thing. It's almost like, a, you know, just like a child learning from a hot stove. <laughs> You've been burned. And so <laughs> yeah. you don't want to get burned again. <laughs> uh, but it also takes a certain level of, of courageousness too, mm -hmm. to Courage, want yeah. to break that cycle <laughs> and be, and, and, and feel like you can do something to change it. Um, because if, if, if you don't like, you know, who's going to, who's going to do it with that experience yeah. and that, you know, yeah. uh, uh, perspective. I've, I've just, uh, yeah, my own, you say, yeah, I've, I've just been surprised and, you know, I've kind of come to learn not to be surprised, but just how many people in power positions of power and authority have no idea what they're doing. And, um, and they do some really bad things and I've done some really bad things, but I wasn't in that position of authority. So the consequences were a little bit smaller. <laughs> 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 yeah, so. definitely. I think power can, um, or, or positions of power are definitely set up uh, to uh, abuse. Um, yeah. And it's very rare to find a leader that, um, that, that is mindful and inclusive um, and, 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 and sensitive and courageous and wants to, uh, you know, make changes. Um, and an yeah. organization that, that is flexible enough to, to, to do that yeah. as well. Um, so that, that kind of ties into the idea of mentoring. So how, how do you think about mentoring and how's it played a role in your life? <clears throat> yeah. Mentoring, I think, um, has always been a two way street. Um, one of the things I started doing because I saw how much film, um, you know, infused me with a passion and a purpose from the age of 14, 15 in that class, um, <laughs> You know, I, uh, I, I, I think, um, you know, f f having that, sorry, I lost the train of thought there for a second. Where were we? Mentoring. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we, um, I started this filmmaker program, um, for, for students to, uh, learn filmmaking and get some films under their belt. Um, just to see those sort of those sparks and those light bulbs go off, um, was, you know, carried mm. those some of those girls through um, yeah. New York University and through USC going to film, uh, you know, breaking barriers as women filmmakers. And they also started uh, in, in high school. So just being able to see those light bulbs go off and, um, you know, being able to, to, to know that like, hey, maybe in 10 years we can work on a film together because you're going to have all of this great experience in this film, uh, um, you know, experience to, to contribute. Maybe we could work together. Um, so, so it's like, you know, hatching out the next generation. Um, yeah. But also just seeing, you know, a lot of my job with uh, uh, WWF Vietnam. Um, so you're a professional was, wrestler is what you're saying. 
Yes, I was. Well, it's the WWE now. <laughs> um, yeah, they, uh, you know, that, that was working in a, a, a country where there wasn't, you know, an elevated level of creativity. Creativity has just been very squashed in uh, this high level communist country that, you know, you can't just go, go off and create, you know, whatever yeah. you want There's censorship and everything. So that limit art censorship limits um, art, of course. Um, yeah. And so just being able to mentor people with editing and filming um, and, and being able to build up their portfolio as well. It, it's just, it, enlight it, it, it enlightens me to see how people learn and different mm. techniques to be able to learn from them um, and, and, and be malleable and flexible with how we can create films. Um, so it's, it's, been a two-way street for me to to see that evolution in people well i i know you have limited time uh do you want to keep chatting or do you have a few more minutes yeah i got a couple more minutes um yeah and then i'll i'll jump well tell i guess <laughs> wrap us up tell i know we, you, there's stories there's narratives there's systems uh, i'm sure you got a lot of more wisdom to share with us um what else do you want to tell us before we close out here yeah i mean i guess um you know, it, it, it's been a long journey of just creating um, the the niche that I wanted to work in. Um, and I guess that might be a, a common theme in a lot of this is if we want to change our systems or if we want to break through in um, areas where it's not uh, uh, common to, to do so, we've got to um you know take it take it upon ourselves to create that um to create the new system to up, create yeah. the new update as well um and a lot of my career um was spent just creating the niche for myself um and you know sure at times wanted to go off and just probably may, maybe i could have made more money as a waitress at at certain times <laughs> um I'd find myself filming on landfills, uh, in, in trash and be like, what, what am I doing? Actually? Yeah. <laughs> what have I just, uh, what have I done? <laughs> uh, but just, you know, being, being able to sort of, uh, you know, gain that experience to understand how the system works and how it's broken to offer solutions, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and, and create those dynamics uh, to shift it. I think that that's, that's really important, you know, whether that's, you know, something like an alarm clock, like you were talking about, or something as big as humanitarian aid relief, um, mm. or just trying to create a career for yourself uh, in, in, in creating that uh, niche of where you want to want to go. Um, and that yeah. can be, you know, just, just creating systems that you want to see as well. Yeah. Um, and I know that can be difficult when uh, people are sort of just bogged down in complacency or being stuck in systems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the dynamics they create and incentivize yeah. us. Yeah. Right. But it can definitely create a sense of, uh, uh, you know, purpose and drive. Um, and, you know, like you said, find a community and a, a sangha, uh, a community <laughs> that supports you. Um, and that supports your ideas as well and can add to them. And maybe that community can help grow and change the system. <laughs> yeah. So rewind. We're in, we're in Flagstaff. It's high school. You're, you have the chance to travel back in time and tell your 17 year old self something. What do you tell her? 
I would tell her you have a lot of adventure ahead of you. Um, eyes on in the back of your head. Uh, uh, distrust earlier. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I I would definitely have told her to um, figure out how systems hurt earlier. Yeah. Um, rather than sort of just complying because you, you, maybe imposter syndrome or you don't feel like you have enough experience, but question systems earlier. That's what yeah. I would have told her to go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Test and find, hold on to what's good. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to say? No, I feel so. I feel great, Jason. Thanks for really, you know, um, taking this all the way back to to our teen years um, and really sort of, you know, it's just it's just great to see how how so much of this came alive um, and to sort of reflect back on um, this trajectory with film and storytelling. Um, yeah. And here we are telling stories on a podcast. Yeah, as well. yeah we are. <laughs> Right. Well, if someone, if someone's, you know, they're like, man, you, I connected with you. I'm interested in reaching out to you or following you. Are you, are you, do you have a website? Are you on social media? What What do you do in that people can reach out to yeah. you, connect with you? Yep. I, <clears throat> I had a production company. I still do. Um, I just not, not operating it as much. Um, but eventually I'll go back to that, that freelance uh, production yeah. company again. Um, but I would uh, tell them to um, Denise, Stilly. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Um, okay. and as well as a, my, you know, an email address, I have a website. Um, but I think it's down because I stopped paying for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um, it sounds like LinkedIn. I work or... with, with other, other organizations, yeah. not mm. my own. <laughs> yeah. But LinkedIn or, or Facebook. Uh, yeah. films, there's a lot of great, um, anti-wildlife mm. trafficking films, a lot of, uh, worldwide fun for nature stuff, uh, that, okay. that, you know, well, if you can, if, yeah, if you can give me all the links, yeah, everything. give me all the links and I'll put it on the page when I, when okay. I publish this yeah. episode and then people can watch all of those, at least the ones you great. want to show. Yeah. <laughs> a ton of links. <laughs> yeah. I'll be Joan. happy to, to, to include all of those. Um, oh, great. Yeah. No, yeah. Like, trip around the world. Now, my daughter wants to be a marine biologist. She wants to go to college in Australia. So do you think it's a good idea? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Fabulous. I love that. Love, love the country. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. A, lot, a lot of great opportunities there. And what a place to study marine biology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing your life with us today. Thank you, Jason, for the opportunity as well. Really hope. Uh, Hope it inspires some people. Um, and thanks for inspiring me as well. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.